So really kind of doing another another lesson on uh, my grass is green and tonight's message is called negativity kills the grass. Negativity kills the grass. Negative people will only see the negative. Even in the midst of mostly positive. When Moses sent out 12 spies, they had quite a positive report about the land. And Moses said, when you come back, I want you to bring back some of the fruit, some of the bounty, the harvest. Bring it back. I want to see what it looks like. You guys remember what they brought back? A single cluster of grapes took two men to carry. Whoa. I mean, could you imagine that? That's, that's it's crazy. That's a pretty positive thing, if you ask me. Grapes the size of cantaloupe. That's kind of what I imagine in my head. I mean, carrying it. Pretty, a pretty positive report. Giants were in the land, which meant giant houses, giant beds, huge pantries. I mean, you know, right? They, they kind of had a positive report. But then, all, but then the, the, the negativity with the 10 was so in them. It didn't matter really how positive the experience was going to be for them. They were always going to come back with a negative report. God's desire was for Moses and his generation to enter the promised land. But negativity kept that generation out. The outlook was so negative that God actually had to change the plan. Now, the title of my message is Negativity Kills the Grass. And it's true that God had desired for Israel to enter into the promised land, a land flowing, right? Do you remember what the land was flowed with? Milk and honey. Ever been to a, ever seen a dairy farm? Ever been inside, inside the building of a dairy farm? It flows with milk. As all the cows are in the barn and they're, they're hooked up to the electronic machines that are attached to their udders, it, it flows with milk. I guess that's what the land was like. So many, so many cows, dairy cows, so many bees flowed with milk and honey, a bounty of harvest, but, and it was a green place. It was a wonderful place. And it was God's desire for that generation to enter that green pasture land that flowed with milk and honey, honey. But the negativity was so terrible amongst the 10 spies and that generation of, of people that it turned the, turned the grass brown. It killed the grass. Huh? But the good thing is, is that if you're negative or if somebody is negative, God will get people into the space. God's plan will eventually prevail. That, that negativity from a generation or an individual or a leader, it, it might delay the, the initial plan of God, but it will not stop the plan of God. And that's an Amen. I think about Adam and Eve. God's initial plan for humanity was paradise, perfection. Adam and Eve messed it all up, but God's plan eventually will prevail because of his son, Jesus Christ. I do think of this wild story that I heard about a man named Ricky Roberts. I've shared this story before, and I'll share it again because you probably don't remember it, and 
It's so powerful. I got to share it again. But there was a there's a, there's a man. He's alive today. His name's Ricky Roberts. And uh, when he was a, a child, he was born to wonderful parents, and they were raising him, and they could tell that something was wrong with his, him mentally, that he was slower than the other children. He wasn't doing very well in school, and so they finally took him to the doctors, and they did some tests on him. And, you know, this was back in, like, the 60s when they were on the tests, and the doctor report actually back to his parents said his IQ was three points above a moron. Pretty cruel thing to say, right? But really, the, the, the way that, that, that the, you know, culture was back then. They kind of said things that were offensive like that. We don't say stuff like that anymore, but that's exact the report that they gave to the parents of Ricky Roberts. And sure enough, yeah, he, he had tons of deficiencies mentally. He could not keep up. He was 16 years old and he was lar- large for a 16 year old, both in height and weight. And he was at a third grade level in his learning. He was actually in a third grade class. He was teased relentlessly because he was so different from all the other kids. And he was so big that even sitting in the tiny chairs that they give little third graders was very uncomfortable for him and embarrassing for him. He could barely fit in a chair under a desk. They didn't accommodate him very well. And one day, one random day, the Lord spoke to both Ricky Roberts' mom and Ricky himself and said, I'm healing your son right now. And immediately, immediately, Ricky became smart, able to do algebra and trigonometry. Immediately had a, had a desire, an intense desire to learn and read and, and, and just absorb information at an alarming rate. And uh, they, they went to the school principal and they said, Ricky needs to be in 10th grade and, and he, he needs to get out of this third grade class. And the, their principal was like, hold on a second here, you know. We need to do some tests. He, need to, he needs to, to, you know, to pass some tests to get into the grade. And he passed all the tests with flying colors and uh, went off and, and went into 10th grade, graduated high school, went off to college. He got seven doctorates in biblical studies. He's written books. He's given interviews. And it finally occurred to him, why did God do this for me? And he finally asked God, God, why did you do this for me? And God told him, and this is, the, this is where the, really the crux of this whole thing comes to, is that, is that God told him, because I had told another man the plan for his life, and he said no, and so I, I gave it to you instead. Wow. Wow. Thank God, right? See, see people will, will, will choose negativity and... The, the God will say, fine, you don't get it. I'll give it to somebody else. You know, that's what happened with the 10 spies. That Caleb and Joshua had the positive report, the 10 spies that nobody knows their names. Nobody remembers their names. And that generation, they did not get into the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb, 80-year-old, leading 40-year-olds and 20-year-olds into the promised land, 80 years old saying, give me my mountain. Taking that mountain. Woo! Can I get an amen? amen? Negativity today, it's everywhere. And it's, it's a contagion. It's contagious. It's a virus. And it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere today. Just the other day, my wife came to me and said, I, I, I just read something terrible on Facebook. Oh, you did? I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it was so discouraging. The, this guy she knows, you know, he... he He's involved in higher education, but he's a Christian. And he had this huge Facebook rant, just all caps, 
take your kids out of public schools. And went on and 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 on about public schools. And she thought, this is offensive to me. I'm a substitute teacher in a public school. And not only that, I've got friends who are teachers in public school. We've got many people at Cornerstone Church who are teachers in public schools. And she goes, you know, as a substitute teacher, I've never taught anything that goes against the Bible. I've never. And those teachers that are Christians in the public schools, they're shining their, their light for Jesus bright. I know who they are. Could you imagine if all the Christians just left the public schools, what would happen to the public schools? Sure, we can complain. Sure, there's negativity everywhere. But I want to let you know right now that sometimes we've got to say, no, no, no. I think God's called me to be a bright light in a dark place. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a wall of protection. You know, that Jen sees herself when she goes in as a substitute teacher into the public schools. A, a wall of protection for that day, Right? And aren't you glad that there's people in there that are doing that, that are positive, that are shining a light bright for Jesus? Amen. We need more positivity. Even the church, unfortunately, at times, can be a source of negativity, a feeding ground, a feasting of negativity. The carcass has been thrown into the waters, and the church just ah, devours it with negativity. There's a whole YouTube page dedicated to criticizing pastors. And they've never pastored a church in a day in their life. There's whole, there's whole communities of people dedicated to criticizing ministries. And they've, they have never once had the courage to lead a ministry. There's people who criticize worship leaders and they can't sing. It's a whole state of community of negativity. And we're all clicking on it, and we're all liking it, and we're all commenting on it, and many are participating in it. But God is looking not for a critic. God is looking for people who want to get in the game and fight what the Bible calls a good fight of faith. We got to conquer a spirit of negativity so that we can get into the promised land. Negative people won't get into the promised land. A negative spirit is always in search for fellowship. Don't join that fellowship. It's not a good fellowship to have. You know, there is a wonderful prescription to negativity if you're struggling with negativity, which we all can get there at times in life. None of us are above it. None of us are too good. None of, none of us are, are so great that we won't ever fall into some sort of form of negativity or, or critical spirit. None of us are beyond that, right? So, so what, what's the prescription for negativity? Because I don't want to just sit up here and tell you, don't be negative. What about a solution to it all? And I really do believe the Bible has laid out for us a prescription, a, a medicine for negativity. And I believe it's this one word. And maybe you can write it down or you can memorize it. But expectation. Expectation is the prescription to negativity. Do you guys, uh, do you guys like the show, the game show, The Price is Right? I like that game show. I liked it a whole lot more with Bob Barker. But you know what my favorite part of the whole television show is? My favorite part of the television show is when they call the name of a new contestant to come down to a podium. The Bob Barker calls out the name. The camera 
starts searching, you know, the camera goes like through the audience and finds the human. And the human, what's the, what is the reaction of the person whose name has been called? It is jumping, hugging, hugging strangers, right? That you, ah, and, and there's joy, there's, there's leaping, there's joy, there's jumping, and they run down to the podium, and they just stand there with the biggest smile on their face. They haven't even won a single thing yet. Why are they so excited? Oh, there's expectation of a gift, of a prize. Expectation has created joy. Expectation is huge. Christians should live with this kind of joy. An expectation that God is going to orchestrate a victory for them. If not today, it might be here tomorrow. If not tomorrow, it might be here next year. But there's an expectation. Do you remember when you first got saved and you realized, I'm going to heaven I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Wasn't there joy about the expected day one day that will come? There is joy. Sure, sure, it, it wanes or it or it gives it goes away as maybe days and years go on. But but you can you can take a moment and think about heaven for a minute, and the joy comes back. The expectation comes back. The the what was life was throwing negativity at you. Think about heaven for a minute, and you get excited. It's biblical to have expectation. Let me read to you Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Everyone was, what does it say? Expecting. Look at that. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Christians should be expectant, even today, as the world appears to be falling apart. There was an expectation. Why? Because there was 400 years between the book of Malachi and this event. 400 years of God's silence. God wasn't speaking through a prophet. He wasn't speaking, he wasn't speaking from heaven. There was nothing being written down. There was nothing happening. It was 400 years of silence. And all of a sudden, something, something started to, to turn. Something started stirring. There was something happening. And there was an expectation that the Messiah was alive. That the Messiah was here. That he was about to reveal himself. And I believe that Jesus is returning soon. And to me, there's an expectation in my spirit that Jesus is going to be appearing in the clouds very soon. Wait, the, the, I don't know about you, but I, I, every day I, I look up. <laughs> is anybody like that? I'm like that today. And I tell, tell Jesus to come. Jesus, come today. Do you ever pray that prayer? Come today. I do. I tell Jesus every day to come. I'm not going to prophesy it because then he ain't doing it. But because no man knows the time or the hour. Sometimes I feel like Jesus wanted to come, but then some some dummy said it, and the word says that no man knows the time or the hour. And so Jesus is like, "Well, now I got to change it." <laughs> and then there's no way that's true, but in my mind, that's how I rationalize why he hasn't come yet. Stop prophesying it, you know. Jeez, have you read your Bible? And uh, so, what am I saying? Oh, yeah, 
I'm like, come on, Jesus, come. And now there's an expectation in my spirit about his coming, just like there was an expectation in their spirit that he was about to reveal himself. Psalm 119, verse 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. And that, that scripture really defines our, our culture that we're in. They all, they have regarded your law as void. It is time for you to act, O Lord. It's time for you to act. God is looking to move. He's looking to act today. He's, but he's looking for people who are expectant of his coming, who are expectant of his Holy Spirit. Did you come to church tonight with an expectancy in your heart about what God might do or move or behave at church tonight? Did you come with an expectation of something tonight? Of course. Of course. Those who came with an expectation received more than those who came expecting nothing. Jesus will reveal himself to those who want to see him. Those who want to see Jesus, he will reveal himself to them. There must be an expectation in our spirits for Jesus. It's the prescription for negativity. Looking backwards with life will kill your, will kill your future. Will, will rob you of an excitement for the future. God's best days are not behind us. Sure, our, 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 when we read our Bible, we see that the world gets worse and people get worse and sin grows abounds. Sin abounds as it gets closer to the end. But did you know the Bible also says in the exact same paragraph of the Bible where it says sin is going to abound and and, and People will get worse and grow worse and worse at the same time it says that there was going to be a move of the Spirit. A a great move of the Spirit at the exact same time. That's for us. That's for those who are looking for it. God's best days are not in the rear view mirror. And people who think the best days are back there, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those who think the best days are back there will not see the best days up in front. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, and I've been at this church long enough. Watched many people. Many people complain. Wishing things were how they used to be. What, what, can't you bring that thing back? Can't you take that thing away? I liked it when we used to do that. I liked it when we used to do things the old way. I never liked it when we moved into this sanctuary. Well, God, we're moving forward. And all, you know, and, and they've, they were never uninvited into the future. God never uninvited them into the future. God is moving. God is doing awesome things. God's spirit, God is saving people. They were welcome to be a part of it, but they just uninvited themselves. The children of Israel were never uninvited into the promised land. They wrote themselves right out with negativity, wishing they could go back to Egypt. And I don't know what to do for those people who want it how it used to be. I'm not in charge of God. God's moving forward. I'm trying to keep up with him. 
And all I could do is just keep showing up and going, wow, look what God is doing. I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And we're going this way. Or, if, yeah, we're going this way. <laughs> right? Hmm. They just simply wrote themselves out with negativity. And they wrote themselves out with a longing of the past. I was scrolling YouTube today. I came across a video that the title of the video, you can look it up right now if you want to. This was the exact title of the video. It said, I have some bad news for you. That was the title of the video. I was like, let's go. Let's click on it. So I clicked on it. And it was a pastor sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for about four and a half minutes. He stood by the ocean and shared the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. So why would he title it? The, the, why would he title it? I have some bad news for you. It's because that's what gets clicks. Nobody's going to click on a video that says I have some good news for you. Everybody's looking for bad news. And I thought it was amazing because it went so perfectly with my message. Is that the community, the, 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 the negativity loves is looking for fellowship. Thankfully, he didn't share any bad news. He shared only good news of Jesus Christ. You know who that was? Who posted that video? Greg Laurie. And it was just posted just a few days ago. And, and he knows, he knows people are looking for, for bad news. So he titled his video that. But he shared the good news of Jesus Christ by the ocean. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. <laughs> I like that a lot. There's a true story of... Three golfers. <laughs> this reminds me of, of when my, my dad and I went golfing with Steve and Joel. Steve Johnson and Joel. Well, they, we all, he just said they were horrible. But the funny thing was, is we actually, we, we all were horrible. But, but the, story, the story with us four goes like this. First hole, or maybe, we are at a par three. Was it the first hole of the whole entire thing? I don't think so. It was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Par three. We all said, <laughs> you think it was your idea. Let's all hit it at the exact same time. Memorize your ball, though. Memorize your ball, right? So we all, you know, right there and just boom. And this, no lie. Our balls went on the green and then their balls just out of bounds. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And it felt like that kind of summed up the whole thing right there. It was really funny. But there, <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> Isn't that funny? We laughed and laughed and laughed at that. Oh, man. Um, didn't let them live that down. You know, as men competing, that was perfect. That was gold, folks. Uh, there's a true story of, of three golfers golfing. Two golfers, very good. One golfer, very bad. And the very bad golfer goes first, and he hits his ball, and they looked for it after he hit it, and they lost it. Ah, oh, lost it. And the bad golfer's just, you know, well, it's typical for me. You know, it's okay. And the other two golfers, they're good. They hit the ball, and they watch it, and it goes in the green. The, the third guy hits the ball, and he watches it, and it goes in the green. And then they're like, all right, let's all go look for your ball. And they are going all over this par three co golf court. They cannot find his ball. He says, it's okay. It happens to me all the time. I always lose my ball. I always hit it bad. 
It's normal for me. I'll just drop something on the green, take a couple strokes off, no big deal, and they get on the green. And the first guy goes up there, and he puts his ball, and it goes right in the hole. He gets a birdie, and he goes over to get his ball out of the hole, and there's two balls in the cup. And he goes, wow, there's another ball in here. Somebody forgot their ball. That's odd. I mean, it is odd, right? Picks it up, looks at it, and goes, is anybody shooting a Titleist too?" And the bad golfer says, I am. And they go, well, that's strange. I can't believe there's another Titleist two in the cup. He goes, neither can I. That's crazy. Somebody left a Titleist two in the cup? That's just like my ball. And the golf pro who was at the clubhouse was watching everybody take their shots, and he saw the first guy hit a hole in one. But when he hit the ball, immediately he looked to the left and to the right because that's where he usually hits it. But he hit it perfectly straight. But nobody looked that way. And he hit his ball into the hole. Nobody watched it go in except the golf pro who'd been watching from the, from the clubhouse. And he drove up on his golf cart and he said, I can't believe I saw you hit the hole in one. And then they go, well, none of us saw it. And he goes, let's take your picture. Let's put it in the paper. And we're going to post it a big article in the clubhouse because it's a big deal when somebody hits a hole in one. And they just expected something bad to happen that they missed an awesome moment. And isn't that just life? Isn't that just the way life is? And it happens in every area of life. It can happen during the work day. It can happen when you come home to parent your children. It can happen just in everything. That, that the, the idea of I always do something dumb. I'm, I'm always bad. It's, it's going to go off. It's going to go bad for me. That, that it's just how it is. And it's like that way now. When you look at, when you look at the world, I expect the interest rates to go up. I'm going to expect my stock, my stocks to go down. I'm going to expect the grocery prices to go up, the gas prices to go up. It's, you know, it's just how it's going to be. And as we live life every single day like that, our grass begins to die and our world begins to shrink. And all the while, God is looking for somebody to say, but we're a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation. I always remember Kemp Holden when the gas prices are really bad, you know, $4.50. This was years ago, and he had a big truck. <laughs> and he was filling up that tank, and he was watching the gas price go up and up and up on the, on the, you know, the, mon- the thing. It's just cranking and cranking and cranking, and he stops. And he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, goes, I never called you to stop short on anything with your life. You better fill it all the way up. So he filled it all the way up. And then the Holy Spirit said, put a little on the ground too. <laughs> because he was living in fear. So he <laughs> squirted a little on the ground and said, take that devil and put it, you know, put it back up. But, but that spoke to me. Does this speak to anybody still today? I know we're full of fear. I know things are crazy. I know things are wild, but God is in control. You know, there's going to be enough of everything until Jesus returns. You're going to eat. Jesus promised us that we're going to be well-fed, clothed, taken care of. But we get so concerned about these things. I know how it is. Money. Look at what the Bible says about money. Proverbs 22, verse 1. 
Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held, held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. We can say amen to that, but do we truly believe it? Do we live like it? Is it really in us? Is it really part of our DNA? Does it really define us? If you just read your Bible and read what it says about money, read what Jesus says about money. He talks a lot about money. He talks a lot about the workplace, about the marketplace. 80% of his parables had to do with the marketplace and the workplace. Jesus did most of his miracles and teaching in the workplace. He's familiar with the worker, the, the workplace, the marketplace. He's, he's in touch with it. He's in tune with it. He knows how everybody's obsessed with money and all this, but he has so much to say about money. If you just read your Bible, you could put money in the right perspective. Let me encourage you with this. Don't buy into the lies, and their lies are everywhere. The news wants you to pay attention, so they're going to paint the something in the worst way possible so that you tune in, and you tune in again, and you tune in again, and you're fearful, and oh no, I, I got to hear what Tucker Carlson has to say. Maybe tonight he'll give me something to hold on to, a moment of peace, a morsel of positivity. He, he ain't going to do it. He ain't got nothing for you, Tucker. Don't, don't do it. Don't buy into the lies. We got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in these days like never before. Stay closely connected to God. He'll warn you of danger. He'll keep you safe. Make peace your guide. The world will tell you to fear. The world will tell you to hoard. The world will tell you to scheme your way to a better life. But God is not in any of that. God takes care of his children. My wife and I had this van. It was, it was falling apart. It, it needed, it needed uh, a work done. And uh, we, were, we were thinking about selling it. But we needed to like probably put, you know, $1,000 or more into it just to sell it. And we were thinking about that, kind of getting stressed out about that. And then even if the work went into it, it's not really worth that much. Had a lot of miles on it. And, you know, kids had been living in it for like seven years. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how many marbles and, and pennies are down under, in, in, you know, in it, you know? You can't get them out. It's in it. It like eats it. Like it swallows it, you know? And, and we're just kind of talking about it and realizing, ah, oh, this is kind of a bummer situation we're in. And then a deer hit it. You know, t t the, the side mirror is hanging. <laughs> a, a nice buck ran into it. Took, you know, destroyed a number of different panels down the side from the door to the front fender, you know, the, the bumper. Now I got body damage. And now I told Jen, I said, technically the car is now technically totaled. <laughs> we got to drop a ton of money into this thing just to sell it to not make enough back. That's kind of where we're at. We were like, oh, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do about this car? I don't know. Let's just drive it until it falls apart. And I'm driving the kids to school three weeks ago, and somebody hits me. The whole wheel came off, destroyed the front end. 
stuck. I, I, I'm like gone. It's wasted. And then all of a sudden, I started to realize, I think the Lord is helping me out. Because I'm about to get a check from the insurance company. And I don't have to put any money into it. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and it was from the other guy's insurance company. All of a sudden, a check was written to me worth more than what the car is worth. You see, God takes care of his children. I don't know. It, and sometimes it's mysterious. But I truly believe that it was an answer to prayer. That God said, oh, no, you know, I don't, I don't want my child to take a loss here. Let's just get this guy to, you know, hit him. And, and my child's not at fault. And let's get that insurance company to write him a check. And now he don't have to put any money into it. They don't have to, like, worry about selling it. You know, because, you know, sometimes when a pastor sells a car, you got to be really truthful. And, you know, you know you're not. But I have to be. Yeah, you laugh and you think it's funny. But, you know, is there anything wrong with it? Yes, there's a lot wrong with it. I was hoping you weren't going to ask that, you know. But we're here now, so yeah. Could you, you know, could you knock off a couple grand? Yes, you know, I can. So, but I just I didn't have to deal with any of that, you know. And I was negative at first when the car hit me. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I realized, wait a second. I think God's taking care of me. God's taking care of the Forstoff family. God takes care of His children. His days are higher. His thoughts are. Deeper. Just a few minutes left, and I'll finish with this. Like, I, I, I just, I think that along with this idea of expectation from us, God is looking for us to have an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. Let me finish with this. Did, did Jesus waste 20 years working construction? Was every brick laid by Jesus a waste of time? Was sitting around the dinner table talking about an order of wood or a deadline for a chimney project wasted conversation with Jesus and his parents? I don't think so. What about you? Is is stocking shelves for 20 years a waste of time? Is every computer program a waste of time? Is your conversations around the dinner table with your family about sports or school projects wasted conversation? I don't think so. You know, I believe Jesus learned how to build tables and use those same principles to build disciples. Jesus learned how about deadlines on projects and those same principles were used to get things done in just three and a half short years of ministry. All your skill and work as a, is, is worship. It's worship. An excellent spirit. A chance for you to show your coworkers what a Christian work ethic looks like. You're building a rapport with those around you. God wastes nothing, makes no mistakes. You've got to create an excellent spirit. Rochelle, our children's minister now here at the church, she joined the children's ministry in her first volunteer position, just like anybody else would do, would, 
would do to volunteer at a children's ministry. Her first place was the nursery. Wiping noses. Wiping bottoms. But there was an excellence. So she was promoted. And then there was an excellence and she was promoted. And there was an excellence and now she's in charge. Was it wasted? Was it wasted time in the nursery? Nope. None. No, nothing is, is wasted. If you, if, if you know you're serving Jesus. You're, you're, doing, you're doing it for Jesus. You're selling a product. Keeping a good re- Christian rapport. You're, you're doing it like you're selling it to Jesus. You're working for Jesus. Start, you can start at the bottom. But if you do everything with excellence, you just might be in charge one day. There, there's a uh, uh, restaurant in Flint that I, I love the food, but the service there is terrible. It's entirely frustrating. It's a, it's a restaurant called Sonic. I like Sonic. And there's a Sonic in Flint. And it's the worst service that you could ever experience at a, at a restaurant. But I love the food so much. The drinks. I love to get cherry limeades. I love their treats. Their drinks are unbelievable. You can get this lemon slushy with real strawberries in it. And they come up the straw and it's like a burst of flavor. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's called a lemon berry slushy. It's like my favorite drink in all the world. But half the time when you go to Sonic, it's closed. Even though the website says it's open. And then sometimes when you get in line to order your stuff, they're out of half the stuff and they're really slow and it's absolutely terrible. But I love the food so much, so I risk it. And I read a news article today that that apparently they tore down the Sonic. And I was kind of like, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what they're putting in? A Chick-fil-A. But here's the thing. I'm not a big lover of Chick-fil-A food. Have you had the chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A? It's nothing. Chicken, bun, pickle. They don't put the special sauce on it, though. You can put the special sauce on it if you ask for the special sauce in a little plastic cancer packet, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like cancer in a packet. It's wonderful, but... But the service... The food's not my favorite. But the service... It's excellent. Excellent service. You ever seen the line for Chick-fil-A with the drive-thru? Why do people hop in that line? Because they know it's going to move fast. There's an excellence there. There's an excellence there. You know, excellence makes the difference. Excellent service. I remember I went to Chick-fil-A with, with there, there was, so, so it was me, it was my f- five people in my family, and then we went with my my brother-in-law and his family, and there was four of them. So there was nine of us that walked into an extremely packed Chick-fil-A in, I think it was in New Mexico. We were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was packed. And we walked in, and this lady, a worker, sees our nine of us walk in, and we've got, we've got five kids, four adults, so we're outnumbered. And she sees us, but I didn't know she saw us. And she started pushing tables together and she started putting down placemats and she started scooting chairs around. And then while we were in line, she tapped me on the shoulder and said, sir, I've prepared a place for you and your family over here after you order your food. You did? Yes. And I put down children's placemats. And so there's crayons there and everything. It's like, what? 
It's a fast food place. You know, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Anywhere else. Doesn't happen. They won me over. They won me over. As a father with kids, I will, even if it's packed and busy, I'd rather walk into Chick-fil-A. They won me over. Excellence. Excellence. When, when Abraham was looking for a wife for his son Isaac, he sent his servant Eliezer out to the well, and Rebekah shows up. She gets water for him, for herself, for his ten camels. There was an excellence about her. That's the type of woman Abraham was looking for for his son. A woman of excellence. The, the excellent people make the grass green. An expectation of people make the grass green. Negativity kills the grass. We got to be people of expectation and people of excellence. Can I get an amen? Let me read you this last verse and then I'll pray and then we're done. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that your master you are serving is Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Let me pray for you. Lord God, we pray for a, a, a people with expectation and a people with excellence. An excellent spirit would be in them. Put it in them, God, we pray. And everybody said, amen.